Look at your neighbor and say, a scarecrow in a cucumber field. A scarecrow in a cucumber field. You can be seated in Jesus' name. We live in an age of customization. You can get just about anything you want customized to your liking, personalized to your preferences, whether it's phone cases or cups or coolers or computers or cars or whatever convenience in your life you want, you can just about get anything you want customized to yourself, your preferences. You can even go to a restaurant. I've been in countries in the world where you can't customize your order. You just get it the way it's on the menu. And certainly if there's anybody here that works in the restaurant industry, that might make your job easier if that was the case here in the United States, but it is not. You can go to the restaurant and you can order it but you don't have to order it like they present it. You can order it how you want. You can add extra pickles if you want to. And you can leave off onions if you want to. And it's about lunchtime if you want to. We're about able to customize just about anything. Here, there, Starbucks. I've heard some of you order at Starbucks something that sounds more like uh, uh, something a scientist concocted in a laboratory than, than an actual coffee-based drink. Add this and a splash of that and two pumps of this and customize venti that. And, and I'm not sure if there's any coffee in it at the end of the order, but no matter what it is, you really can have it your way. And this is really nothing new to the 21st century. Humanity throughout the ages has always enjoyed some level of customization in their life. Human nature has always had a craving to personalize things to their liking. It's not something that is new to us back in the days of the, the cavemen and women. They could decorate their cave however they wanted to. They could write on the wall whatever they wanted to. We've always, there's something about the human spirit that desires things to be done to our liking, that there's something about the human spirit that wants mine to look a little bit different than theirs and wants what I have to be just a little bit customized, a little bit unique versus what they have. While this is nothing new, we understand that also throughout human history, this has not stopped with the walls of caves and the cases on cell phones. But throughout human history, many times humanity has even attempted to customize their own faith customize their own belief systems, customize their own worship, and even customize their own God. Both biblical history and, and human modern history prove that the human spirit is a wandering and a, and a wayward spirit and an errant spirit. And ever since the rebellion in the Garden of Eden, Ever since the original sin, all the way back at the beginning of your 
Bible. Humanity has wrestled with this idea and tried to manipulate God's word ever since the serpent and Eve got together in the garden. Humanity has always tried to manipulate or bend or twist or contort, or contort God's word to fit so it adapted to their life perhaps a little bit better to manipulate God's word and at times in human history even to the point of creating an entirely different God together. Can I just pause here and tell you that any God that you can manage, manipulate, or modify is no God at all, but any God that you can manage, manipulate, or modify is an idol. It's not a God. God is unchanging. God cannot be modified. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be managed. His power cannot be harnessed or manipulated to our liking or our control. God is simply God. He doesn't need your customization and he doesn't need my manipulation. He's just God. And idolatry is nothing new. You look at the very first book in your Bible, the book of Genesis, and you read very early in that book in chapters 11 and 12, and God calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, away from his father Terah, who is steeped in idolatry, the worship of man-made objects and man-made idols. Then you read after that, you read a man by the name of Jacob in your Bible, and God blesses Jacob, changes his name to Israel, and God uses him. But just before you read all of that, you read Rachel, his wife, uh, stealing her father's idols, putting them in her house, and we never read in Scripture that they were done away with or destroyed. Israel's history is filled with idolatry. Israel's history, you see it in Exodus chapter 32. At the very moment, God's glory is so thick on the mountaintop, on Mount Sinai with Moses. As God is giving the blessing of his glory to his people through their leader, Moses, uh, the people are down below fashioning an idol with their hands. Israel made idols to Baal. They worshiped God in the high places. They'd climb the mountains because they thought they could be closer to God that way. They worshiped on the mountaintops and they worshiped in the groves. They bowed down to Asherah poles, uh, uh, wooden totem-like poles that they would bow down and worship to. They, from, from Genesis to Exodus and from the Exodus to the, the Judges and the rulership of, of the kings. They, they worshiped the sun and the moon at times. And people in scripture, they worshiped a, a brazen serpent. In fact, we read historically, they kept it around for some 800 years and never got rid of it for quite a while. They actually made idols, watch this, they actually made idols of their memories. They actually made idols of their past experiences, relics of what God had done. Don't do this. We rejoice and we overcome by the word of our testimony, but we do not idealize and we do not idolize anything God has ever done. We do not worship at the feet of any past method or any past mission that God has ever given us. We worship the one true living God.
It's in his last days on earth that Saul seeks out a witch and him being the first king. And then you read a little later, the third king, Solomon, he marries a pagan woman and adds all of her. You better be careful who you date and you better be careful who you marry because you will not just add their personality into your life and your family, but you will add the gods and the thing they worship into your house and into your family. He marries a pagan woman and all of her gods now became his gods and the gods of his children and the next generation. Hosea, we read the story of Israel chasing after other gods. Manasseh, uh, his, the son and successor of Hezekiah, he, this is when idolatry is at its peak in Scripture. And he builds altars to pagan gods and he sets up idols and he seeks out wizards and enacts divination. And, and there's the worship of Moloch, which is a, the, the practice of actually feeding children, passing children to the fire and doing child sacrifices. Can I tell you the murder of children in our day now that is called abortion uh, is not a new idea but this uh, idolatrous practice has been as old uh, as the Old Testament. They pass their children through the fire and they sacrifice the lives of their children. Can I tell you that there is a link. There is a direct link between the worship of idols and idolatry and severe moral decay and debauchery. And anytime you see a society slipping deeper into idolatry, you can just rest assured that the debauchery will increase and the moral decay will increase. When we worship an idol, the debauchery is soon to follow. But I'm here to tell somebody the reverse is also true, that there is a direct link between worshiping the one true and living God and living a life that is wholesome and righteous and holy and a life that is pleasing to God. You cannot help but worship the one true living God for very long and all of a sudden the blessings of God begin to come. The entire story of the nation of Israel we read the story of the woman at the well in the New Testament. But the entire story of the nation of Israel is a national story of a woman at the well. A, a, a national story of the people of God going from one love to another. From one idolatrous practice to another. From one worship to another only to be dissatisfied and move on. Can I tell somebody here right now that, that you will never be satisfied worshiping the gods of this world. You will never find contentment worshiping the gods that this world bows down to. You will only find satisfaction and solace for your soul when you bow at the altar of the one true living God. When you make up in your mind that I'm going to worship the one true living God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And I'm going to worship that one true living God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. And so it's in this setting of idolatry that the prophet Jeremiah is fed up. He is fed up. Anybody ever had it up to here before? Anybody ever had it up to here? He is fed up. He's sick and tired of it. He has reached his limit. And so he begins to prophesy. And his prophecy confronts this whole situation in Israel. It confronts this situation. Can I help somebody and tell you that confrontation is not always a bad thing? 
You read every conversion in the New Testament and there was confrontation before there was conversion. You don't know you're in sin until somebody tells you you're in sin. You don't know, well, you don't know you're making a mistake unless somebody tells you you're making a mistake. It took Simon Peter getting up and preaching. That's why we need a preacher. That's why we need a pastor. That's why we need some spiritual authority in our life. That's why we need some brothers and sisters uh, that can keep us honest and accountable and can call us out uh, because confrontation precedes conversion. And if I avoid the confrontation, uh, I will miss out on the conversion. Jeremiah confronts this. And he speaks directly to it in our text. And he tells how absurd and how utterly ridiculous this idolatrous way of the people of God is. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, Hear what the word of the Lord says to you people. This is what the word of the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations uh, or be terrified by signs in the heavens. Uh, don't be worried about what's going on in the nations and don't be terrified by what they're worshiping. Don't be fearful by what they're bowing down to and paying homage to. He says in verse 3, for the practices of the people are worthless. Everything that this world is worshiping is worthless. He said it looks like this. They cut down a tree out of the forest. And a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with gold and silver and fasten it with a hammer. Now, this isn't talking about Christmas trees. They, they adorn it with gold and silver and fasten it with a hammer and nails so that it will not. He's describing what the world does. They, they cut down a tree. He, in other words, he's saying they worship dumb stuff. <laughs> they worship weak stuff. They worship stuff that if they didn't fasten it with enough nails, it couldn't even stand up on its own. And then he says this. He says in the next verse, he says, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. He said, it's like a dumb old scarecrow. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. He said, their idols cannot speak. What do you think about that? They, they, they cannot talk. You okay with that? You insulted by that? <laughs> he, he said, they have to be carried because they cannot walk. I'm trying to, oh man, see? <laughs> Falling apart. They cannot walk. Come here. Well, he said, they, they can't talk. Come, come on, what's your, what's your best opinion about this service? Am I preaching a good message? Oh, I think he said yes. I think he said yes. <laughs> I asked a little man this morning. I said, I said, man, nice to meet you. First time here. I said, I, I, you know what? I know, you, you know your age attention span isn't the best, so I'm going to do my best not to bore you today and, and to keep you interested. He said, no, it's okay. Just go ahead and do what you normally do. Just do your job. <laughs> he must have heard about my reputation. <laughs> He's like, it's okay. Just bore like you normally do. 
<laughs> like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. He said they must be carried because they cannot walk. They can't speak for themselves. And he draws this picture of a scarecrow. And he says this is representative of every God this world bows to and worships. He says do not worship them. They cannot hurt you. They cannot harm you. Somebody cuts down a tree. They fasten it with nails so it doesn't totter. And he said, their, scare, their gods are like scarecrows in cucumber fields. Uh, not only is the scarecrow itself flimsy, but have you ever tried to go cucumbers in your garden? Man, it seems like the wind blows the wrong direction. They start getting spots and getting rotten. Sometimes it's easy to lose a whole cucumber patch. Uh, and seemingly you don't even know what happened. He said, not only are their gods weak and worthless, their gods are proper up in an environment that is not even sustainable it's like a scarecrow that is weak in a cucumber field that is soft and weak he said it cannot be sustained do not worship those gods they cannot help you they cannot harm you do not fear those gods they can't do any good for you. Don't worship them and don't fear them because they can't harm you either. It doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter how much silver and gold they dress it up with. It doesn't matter how pretty they try to make it look on social media. It doesn't matter how many documentaries or specials they put on TV to try to tell you that this is the God you should be bowing to and this is the decision and the ideology and the humanistic philosophy and the secularism that you should be bowing to in the 21st century. They can dress it up all they want, but the prophet Jeremiah said their gods are worthless and their gods are powerless. Their gods are fading and failing and faltered. They cannot help you. They cannot hurt you. It's symbolic of everything this world has to offer. It's symbolic of every God that this world is currently bowing down to. It's symbolic of every, though they may appear to have power, a scarecrow is supposed to be in the shape or the image or the likeness of a human being. It's supposed to be that the crow flies down, a scarecrow, and the crow says, oh, there's a man standing there in the field waving his hand, and so I better fly away. It has the image of power. It has the appearance of power. It has the appearance of something that is right. But it's really wrong and it's really powerless. That sound like anything this world is bowing down to? It's really wrong and it's really powerless. They're gods. They have no ability. They have no power. Though they may appear to, he said, do not bow to them. Can I preach to somebody today? We do not then, we did not then, and we do not bow to the atheistic gods of secularism. We do not bow to the woke gods of humanism. We do not bow to the divisive gods of politicism. We do not bow to the gods that this world bows to, for they are nothing but a scarecrow in a cucumber field. They are weak they will fail, they will falter every single time. But then in the next verse, uh, Jeremiah seemingly erupts in the praise in verse 6. Uh, and he says, uh, but you, O oh Lord.
like you. But you, oh Lord, you are great in power. Your name is mighty in power. Their gods may be weak and their gods may fail. But you, oh Lord, there is none like you. There is none beside you. There is none equal to you. There is nobody that compares to you. I choose to worship the one true living God. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who gave me the breath of life. The God who formed me in my mother's womb. I worship that God. Somebody give him praise right now all across this room. Would you clap your hands? Would you lift your voice in a triumphant shout of praise to this God? I don't worship their gods. I worship the God. I don't worship the gods of pride. And I don't worship the gods of secularism. And I don't worship the gods of politics. I worship the one true living God who sits on the circle of the earth. Heaven is his throne. And the earth is his footstool. I you can worship a God that's created by human hands. Uh, you can worship a God that's created by human hands. Uh, or you can worship the God that created human hands. Uh, you can worship a God that has to be propped up. Uh, or you can worship a God that holds the universe in place uh, with the power of his words. You can worship a God made of sticks and straw or you can worship a God that spoke the world into existence. You can worship a God that is lightless or you can worship the God that said, let there be light and there was light. You can worship a God that can breathe or you can worship the God that gave you the very gift of breath you're breathing right now. You can worship a God that cannot move or you can worship a God that can move right to you in the midnight hour and all you had to do was simply breathe his name aloud. Woo! I'm preaching to somebody today. You need to plant firm your feet. You need to square your jaw. You need to make up your mind, square back your shoulders and say no matter what this world bows to, I will worship the one true living God because their gods are nothing more than scarecrows in a cucumber field. Slap your neighbor in the arm and say, don't worship that other junk. You can be seated. Can I preach a few more minutes? It's only 10.50. Can I preach a few more minutes? Are we all right? Mm, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Why does this world worship idols? Why have the people of God been tempted for millennia to worship idols? Why is there a constant fight with the people of God from the book of Genesis to July 17th, 2022? A constant fight and temptation to worship idols. I'll tell you a couple reasons I find. Because it's been human effort for centuries 
to do anything it can, to create anything it can, to manipulate the spiritual, to, and by doing so, to control one's own destiny and purpose, to dictate one's own future. When they were new into Canaan's land, when they got to Canaan, the pagans said, if you're going to grow crops here, you've got to bow and worship the wheat gods. And if you're going to be successful in this environment, you better worship the harvest gods. And so in an effort to manipulate their future, their harvest, their increased, rather than trusting the God that got them to Canaan, they begin to bow to the harvest gods of the pagans. They were, in, in essence, they were making an effort to manipulate their future and uh, by manipulating the God and what they worship. They looked around at everybody else and everybody else said, if you're gonna be successful here, you gotta dress like this. And if you're going to be successful there, you got to be willing to act like this. And if you're going to get ahead in this company, you got to be willing to go to those events and you got to be willing to participate. And if you're going to be successful in this field or this career or this endeavor in the future of your life, you got to be willing to embrace this secular or this humanistic mindset. And they fell for it and they worshiped the gods of this world. But I'm just here to tell somebody. God has never needed the harvest conditions to be optimum by the farmer's almanac or the farmer's standards for him to be able to cause something to sprout up from the ground and grow and bring forth fruit. The scripture says at the very scent of water, I'll cause it to grow. You know, another reason men have worshiped idols and wrestled with idols for generations, it, it, it's simply rebellion. That's, that's, I don't know any prettier way to dress it up or, or, or put it because it's a whole lot easier to just pick another God to worship than to submit to one that requires you to bow. It's a whole lot easier just to create another God in my image than a, a, a God that fits nicely into my schedule a God that fits nicely into my life, a God that fits nicely into my lifestyle preferences, a God that fits nicely into my ideas, my theologies, and the things I can't wrap my brain around. It's easier to worship a God that fits nicely into my pocket that I can pull out when I want to than it is to alter my life to worship the one true living God. Whew. The reality that if you, is that if you create your own God, if you create your own idol, you have become a god to yourself. If your humanistic way, if your mindset and your will, you say, well, pastor, I'm not preaching to me. I'm not, I'm not humanistic or secular at all. If your will and your way is the highest law that you answer to, your premonitions and your ideas and your wants and desires is the highest law that you answer to, I hate to break it to you, but God is not on the throne of your life. You have planted yourself on the throne of your life by deciding what you will worship. It's easier to create another God so that I can do it 
my way. Why, why did they worship idols? Maybe another reason they worshiped idols is because there were times in human history that they demanded to understand God. Some people refuse to worship God simply because they don't understand him. Some people can only worship a God that they can reduce to human logic, that they can put on a spreadsheet, that they can put on a five-year plan or a three-year plan. And at the root of that is a lack of faith and trust in God. If I demand a God, I can always explain. And if I demand a God that always has to answer me, I demand to create my own idol. The reality is, I do not have the prerogative of always understanding God, but I do have the obligation to always worship God. I don't have the prerogative of always knowing what he's doing and understanding the end from the beginning, but to try to manipulate my own path or my own future by my own preferences is to create a scarecrow God, is to create another God that I bow to. I refuse to create a God in Luke Levine's image because I know his ways are higher than my ways. His knowledge is higher than my knowledge his path for my life and his plans for my existence far supersedes anything that I could plan and plot for myself his ways are always better anything else is an idol anything that I elevate to the source of solutions and answers and supply in my life is bringing me dangerously close to idolatry this is why Paul warned in 1 Corinthians he said flee idolatry our idols you say pastor we're not we don't worship idols in in 2021 yeah our idols are not sticks and straw our idols don't look exactly like this but Paul strikes at the very heart of idolatry. And he simply says, idolatry is following your own fleshly passions instead of following the written word of God. And we have an entire culture that is pursuing headlong fleshly passions and carnal desires there's a high school not far from here that has put a litter box in their hallway because of a couple of students that made up their mind one day they identified as kitty cats I wonder what people who lived just 20 years ago just 15 years ago if they could peer ahead, if we could peer ahead and see where we would be in 2022 yeah. with the absolute insanity that is going on in our world yeah. in the name of secularism, yeah. if we could peer into the absolute insanity that would be going, Paul dealt with it in Colossians. Y'all, this is nothing new. 
It takes a different form. But the Apostle Paul dealt with this when he said, put to death your members which are on the earth. In other words, the parts of you that want to identify with fleshly desires. He said, crucify them, put it to death. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. The King James says evil concupiscence, which simply means strong desires or passions for things that are of this world but are contrary to the things of God. John said it like this in 1 John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is John saying? What is Paul saying? They're reminding the New Testament church of what the prophet Jeremiah prophesied hundreds of years earlier that we are the people of God and we must worship only the one true and living God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew the first of the commandments is this Hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord and verse 30 says and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength in other words he's got to be at the center of my decisions he's got to be at the center not just the center of my big decisions well 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 he's got to be at the center of the decisions with what I'm going to do with my 10 o'clock hour on Sunday morning. Okay, I lost some of you. He doesn't just have to be at the center of my big decisions. Well, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's easy. What does that look like on Monday? Pray, tell, tell me, what, what does that look like on Tuesday afternoon when you're standing around the water cooler with your friends? What does that look like when you're deciding who you're going to marry? What does that look like when you're deciding who you're going to spend your time with or what you're going to watch? If I'm going to worship one true living God, I've got to worship him with everything I do. I, I got to hurry to a close. Hear me. Th this idea that he was combating was not just, we think idolatry. We think that they forsake the one true living God and they just bow down to this idol. Oh, worship this idol. No, no, no. That's not what they did. That's not what they did. That's not what he was even writing to in this situation. You know what he was dealing with was more akin to what we're dealing with today. And I'm hurrying to a close. He said it's like a scarecrow in a, in a cucumber field. It was this idea called syncretistic worship. Where they were not forsaking the one true living God to worship idols. They were trying to sync their worship of the one true living God with the worship of idols. In other words, they said, I can do what I want because it seems right to me, but I'll still worship Jesus on Sunday. They said, I can live how I want because I don't see why not, but I'll still worship Jesus next Sunday. 
He said it's a scarecrow in a cucumber field. That's why God was mad when he talked through the prophet Zephaniah in chapter 1 verse 2. He said, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. This is the Lord talking. He says, I will consume man and beast. I will consume birds in the heavens, fish in the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I'll cut off man from the face of the earth. I will stretch my hand out. Watch this. I will stretch my hand out. He said, I'm going to smack Judah. Sorry, Judah, wherever you're at. He said, I'm going to smack Judah. That's the people of God. Hold up. God says, I'm going to smack down Judah. This is not biblical precedent for somebody to go smack Judah after church, okay? <sighs> Judah, if you need security, we'll provide it, okay? He said, I'll stretch out my hand against you to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of what? Of Baal from this place. And the names of the idolatrous priests. And the names of the pagan priests. Now watch this, verse 5. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. Who worship and swear oaths by the Lord. That's all caps. That's Yahweh. That's the one true living God. But read that next phrase with me. But who also swear by Milcom or Molech. Molech was the God of killing babies. We would call it the God of abortion today. God said, don't you dare bow to me and bow to Molech as well. Don't you dare bow down to me and bow to the gods of this world. He said, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord or inquired of them. In other words, he said, there's a day of judgment coming. And if you've been bowing to two different gods, if you've been trying to adopt those misplaced desires and your misplaced worship, and if you've been seeking approval, if you're seeking approval on social media and from the things of this world, if you're seeking success by this world's standards, if you don't care whether it disregards the word of God, you just want it to look good or seem good to others. If your desires are bringing frustration to the will of God in your life, he said there's a day of reckoning coming. You got to understand, those are scarecrows. They are not real gods. They cannot help you. They cannot promote you. They cannot bring you happiness. They cannot bring you satisfaction. Hear this pastor this morning. You can bow down to everything this world bows to if you want to. But you will still be miserable at the end of the day. You will still be haunted at the end of the day. You will still be hopeless at the end of the day. They cannot occupy the place and the space and the priority of God in my life. And the difficult thing is there are some things that are not inherently evil. There are some things that are not inherently bad. But if I allow them to occupy his space, his time, the talent, the treasure he's given me for his kingdom, then it becomes a scarecrow my life it becomes a scarecrow just another one of the millions weakly tottering in the cucumber patch of culture 
nothing more than a scarecrow in a cucumber field. So I'm telling somebody here today, you can worship the God of career or you can worship the one true living God, but you cannot worship at the altar of both. You can worship the God of fashion or what you wear. Pastor, you're saying I can't have a career, I can't wear clothes. No, no, thank you for wearing clothes today and thank you for having a job. But there's a distinction in what I worship, what I pay my homage and adoration to. You can worship a God of a ball or a God that you play or the one true living God, but you can't worship both. You can worship at the altar of education or you can worship the one true living God, but you can't worship both. You can worship a a God that you pull to the lake and cast with a pole, but you can't worship that and the one true living God. Everything has a place in my life, but nothing has a place that takes the space or takes the concepts that are higher or in a paramount status to the worship of the one true living God in my life. You can worship the God of money and wealth, but you can't worship that and worship the one true living God. You, you can worship a God that you drive or you can worship your physical health or you can worship your social status or standing. You can worship your hobbies or you can worship Hollywood or the one true living God, but you cannot bow down to both because at the end of this day, at the end of the day, every God of this world will at some point or another counteract and contradict with the worship of the one true living God. And that's where I stand and I decide whether I'm going to bow to a scarecrow in a cucumber field or I'm going to bow to the one true living God. And so I'm preaching to somebody here today that today is a day of self-examination. Today is a day where I ask myself, is there anything that I am putting before my God? Because anything that I put before my God, as the songwriter said, is an idol. Anything I want with all of my heart is an idol. Anything I can't stop thinking of or anything that takes me away from God or anything that I give all of my love to is an idol. And so my response must be like Jeremiah's as we stand together this morning. And that response was humble, bowed worship. And that worship declared, no one is like you, O Lord. You are great. And your name is great. And you are mighty in power. I'm telling you, the one true living God is different than the scarecrows in your life. Because the scarecrows in your life aren't going to be there in the midnight hour when your heart is broken. But I'm preaching about the one true living God that moves in the midst of a storm. I'm preaching about the one true living God that when you're in the storm of your life, just ask the disciples. He can move right to where you're at. You're not worshiping a God that has to be carried to his next destination. You're worshiping a God that can move right to where you are in the storm of your life this morning. You're not worshiping a God that has no compassion on your situation. You're not worshiping a God that can give you no mercy with 
his hand. You're worshiping a God whose mercies are new every morning. You're worshiping a God that is full of grace and full of love and full of compassion and full of mercy. And all you have to do to engage his mercy is to ask for that's all you have to do. You're not worshiping a God this morning that, 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 that is stopped by culture, can be slowed. The Pharisees found out they couldn't stop him and they couldn't kill him either because this God just rises up again. You're worshiping a God today that is the undefeated God. He is the ultimate timeless heavyweight champion of the universe. There is nothing in your life that he is intimidated by, backing down from, or is worried about being defeated with he is the champion of the universe and he's ready for somebody to bow a knee to him today and say God I want you to be ruler of my life God I want you to be the champion of my existence God I want you to be the Lord of all in me somebody lift up your hands and your voice to him right now